Hey guys, before today's episode of the podcast, I want you to text me 212-931-5731. If you don't, you're missing out. I'm putting all my eggs in the fucking text basket. 212-931-5731. This is the Gary V Audio Experience. What is up, Gary V Audio Experience listeners? In today's podcast, Gary gave a fireside chat for a multinational software corporation you may have heard of called SAP. During the fireside chat, he answered questions from a Twitter live stream about the definition of an entrepreneur, modern marketing, how TikTok is related to your business, the future of voice, AI, and much, much more. I hope you guys enjoy. Are entrepreneurs born? Or do you think there's something that can be taught, that they can be made that way? I think entrepreneurship is a talent, okay. and, uh, but I think anybody can advance a skill since it's also a skill. So, look, I tomorrow can start the process of becoming a much better basketball player than I am right now. I can work on my left hand, I can take a 100 jump shots, but the reality is I wasn't born to be LeBron James. You know, and so for me, I absolutely believe it's a natural talent. And there are absolutely people who from day one know how to sell lemonade, know how to flip CDs, know how to start startups, and more importantly, have an incredible relationship with fear and the no. And so, do I believe that somebody who's never been an entrepreneur, who was a straight A student and a corporate animal their whole lives, starting a venture, could practice for a decade and get better at it? Yes, I do. Do I believe that person is gonna outperform a born and bred entrepreneur that has put in the work and fully had those talents? No, I do not. And I think that fear is part of it. I mean, that's one thing I know part of your story, part of something that I experience quite a bit as entrepreneurs is fear. So I think maybe that's the part that if you're able to overcome that, you have a better success. Yeah, look, I mean, entrepreneurship is wildly predicated on your relationship with losing. And a lot of people that are born in certain families in certain situations and certain net worths and structures uh, demonize losing. I think one of the great vulnerabilities of our society right now, especially in an advanced society like the US, is that we demonize losing for kids by giving them eighth place trophies or trying to stop them from feeling those pains. And I think that wildly puts people actually in long-term depression and unhappiness, not the reverse. And so I'm very grateful that I couldn't speak English, that I wasn't good at sports, that I was a DNF student. By the time I was 15, I was super cozy with losing and being told that I sucked. And so uh, that, that helped me quite a bit in having the courage to innovate. And when I started winelibrary.com in 1996, all these grown-ups and Harvard kids told me the internet was a fad. You know, and so you have to have a lot of conviction and courage and, and willingness to be lonely if you're gonna get into entrepreneurship. And I think it's very dangerous, in my opinion, that entrepreneurship has become so cool because every 17-year-old is trying to be one and it is a very specific mindset and skill. And so I try to communicate about that. Yeah. Talking about the companies that you work with, and again, we have thousands and thousands of those companies watching us today. What are some of the things, are the common traits that you're seeing in companies that make them a success? Can you look at companies and say, wow, these three elements, these two elements, I'm seeing are common with all the companies that I've been working with and seeing? Yes, uh, I think the person running it. The she and he at the tippy top is an uncomfortable indicator to the success. I've become wildly fascinated by the jockey over the horse. Mm -hmm. Uh, in my business career, and so that stands out. And then, can you judge that individual in the game that she's playing? Meaning, 
I as an entrepreneur in this building on the 25th floor as the CEO am playing a long, in perpetuity, privately held, no board game of operation. The, you know, Bill Pryor and now Jen and you know, what's happening here is every 90 days, Wall Street wants answers. The board in Germany wants answers. For all the people watching, they may be held accountable to the investors. Or the, some of those people are here holding us accountable right now. 100%. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the reality of it. So I think you have to judge the person navigating the business and you believe that she or he is good at the game they're playing. Yeah. Some people would be remarkable Fortune 500 CEOs and terrible privately held CEOs and vice versa. I, I could never be a publicly traded uh, CEO because I play too long. I'm making decisions right now that are hurting my short-term P&L that are gonna allow me to be successful three and a half years from today. That's not gonna go over well for people that care about the stock price tomorrow. So those things. Got it. No, I appreciate it. Uh, let's talk about advertising just a little bit, Gary. I think, I think you're famous, known as saying, talking about exhibiting versus spending money on ads. And I think a lot of the companies here are used to the more older school methodology of uh, spending money on exhibits and uh, trade shows and things like that. I see. The versus B2B online stuff. advertising. Can you talk about that? What you yeah. That? Help us understand that. Yeah, the context around that is I'm very fascinated by B2B marketing. Okay. I think a lot of the modern day marketing things that we're talking about, people default in thinking that the Facebooks or the LinkedIn's or the Instagram's, the YouTube's, the podcasting is really more of a B2C function. And I've seen that there's actually more upside in B2B products, but knowing how to spend those dollars, and let's call it what it is. If you're a SaaS-based B2B company, you're really a sales organization. You're not a marketing organization. People are looking at those numbers. We're looking at CAC and LTV. And so trying to educate all the opportunities of building brand at the top of the funnel and how that trickles to long-term and short-term success in a digital environment is a conversation that I want to have. And the way that I've gone at that is, in a world where people are scared to spend money on something they don't have reports for yet, I try to challenge them in making them understand that they're spending a ton more money on things that they've always spent money on. The amount of money that's spent to sponsor a B2B conference in Las Vegas or Orlando where you build out the booth for more money than you spend on LinkedIn ads in a year is laughable in 2019. Those are the conversations I wanna have. We're willing to run full page ads in a print magazine that is the B2B magazine versus running 20 pieces of content on LinkedIn fully targeting the CFO or the CIO for a fraction of the price. So you have completely out of touch marketers who are sitting in ivory towers who are playing the political game for advancement and know what's accepted by the CEO and the board instead of making decisions on the consumer level and the reality of contemporary consumption. That's a huge rub. That is something I talk a lot about. What would you say though, Gary, to the marketing manager out there who's looking at our discussion and saying, I'm trying to get them to do different. I'm trying to get them to reinvest their money. And they have, as you said, they want their job. They have the political heat from up top. Any advice to that mid-level marketing manager who's saying, I'm trying to change it, Gary, but it's just not happening. What would you tell them? I tell them they need to respectfully, because I'm able to be a tough guy on LinkedIn and curse and everything because there's, I don't have a boss. You know? And so if I lose a client because of that, well, that's on me. So I have empathy for the, everybody who works in a company, but you need to respectfully leave your two cents on the table. You have to die on your own sword. What is about to happen, and I'm putting this on film, is a lot of people who have opinions of modern marketing are staying quiet because they're scared to say it. Then the company's gonna struggle because this is all playing out, and then they're gonna die 
aka get fired or not advance on something they don't even believe in. It is so much more fun to respectfully leave your two cents and then when the companies inevitably fail, you get advanced by the people that heard you be historically correct versus you sitting on your tongue because you think it's gonna get you a micro promotion or advancement in the short term. Respectfully leave your truth on the table in meetings. And I like how you said the word respect and I think that is important. We can buck the system but I think respect always gets you uh, far along in the journey when you have the respect. You have to respect what you're playing. For me, a lot of people with my crassness or my Jersey style don't think I'm respecting, they're misunderstanding. I'm respecting the end consumer because that's my religion. I don't have to appease internal politics. Let's go to Twitter, Gary, again. Thank you, those who are submitting questions via Twitter. This is a live stream for sure, so we definitely want your questions to keep coming via Twitter. And again, use the hashtag uh, SAP Innovate Live and keep on that social engagement going. Uh, Gary, uh, Ali US Org asked the question Can you provide some insight for startups trying to acquire users with no marketing budget? And Gary, this is a big issue. A lot of people are starting up, just starting their businesses. I have family coming with me. My niece and nephew just starting a fitness business. Ramon, we don't have a lot of money. Any tips you can give them if they zero money or little money, how they can start? Yes. Uh, I think about two core things in my macro thesis of underpriced attention. Which ads are actually underpriced for what they return in business results, not reporting results? and which platforms are giving us free organic reach that over time may lead to awareness. Right Right now the two greatest platforms in the world for organic reach at scale are TikTok and LinkedIn. Now TikTok skews extremely young, so if you're selling to 54 year old CIOs, TikTok's not necessarily gonna be the place to go. But if you're starting a fitness app, TikTok's an incredible place to go. It's really ironic, you know, We're sitting in a moment of time, and I have not seen this in the last decade, where one mature platform and one extremely young emerging platform are the current state of organic reach at scale. So that's the answer to that question. But there's other things. There's sales DNA. I think every single person starting a business that has no money needs to take out their cell phone, go into their address book, and literally text every person there, whether it's their mom or somebody they talk to once. Who you know already. Correct, and say, look, and this is the nuance. Do you know anybody? Not, will you buy my product? Do you know anybody who might be interested in my ex? I think you'll get two or three answers. And I I think people are scared to ask. And uh, when you have no money, you only have the ability to ask. For sure, I like it. Well, hey, power broke. Um, another thing to talk about is technology. We are at a technology event, but it's a marketing event too, as you've, if you've reminded us, and I want to underline that. Many companies think they're technology companies, but I think at the end of the day, we all are marketers. And if you don't think... Not only that, I think one thing that a lot of people have to understand is technology gets commoditized very quickly. Mm-hmm. Communication is the single most important variable in our society. And so, you know, I think, I think it's a very important conversation for a lot of people that think they're winning on a feature yep. that is replicatable. For sure. One question I want to ask about technology, then we'll go to a Twitter question. Um, any advice on technology? It's a broad question, Gary, but again, talking to those listening who are wondering what technology should I, should I be investing in for my company? What technology should I be looking at? It's a broad question, but what comes to mind when you think about advice for technology? Because many people watching us are tech-based companies. I think you have to reverse engineer your consumer. Okay. So whatever technology your consumer is actively engaged with is always super important. I will say this, though. I'd be remiss. I do believe the emerging voice technology, the AI voice devices in our homes and offices and cars is the big elephant in the room. I think it's too early and I don't want anybody watching or here to run home and build an Alexa skill and think it's gonna change their business. On the flip side, I do believe what the iPhone did 
and smartphone did to our society that voice devices have the potential to do at scale over the next decade. And I do believe that people need to be thinking about how their brand plays in a voice AI environment, not a visual mobile device AI environment. Sonic branding, how does it engage, how to build a skill in a briefing, uh, who's gonna win, Apple, Google, you know, uh, Amazon, and a, a Chinese company. You know, so an important emerging thing in our society. Again, we got more questions coming in from Twitter. Keep the questions coming. We love them. Uh, FL Hughes one asks, uh, probably one of your favorite questions, Gary, possibly, or worst, I don't know. How do you I measure, love this question. How do you measure ROI on content, or should you? This goes back to the discussion kind of we had. Executives are looking at numbers, numbers, numbers. You have the executive in the middle who wants to use social and digital. What's the answer to that question? Measuring, or should you, ROI? Of course you should measure ROI. Okay. We're here for business. Um, however, how we do that is the debate. For example, if you're in a sales full funnel, meaning you sell your product, you're not at the mercy of a retailer or somebody else, it's wildly, uncomfortably easy to measure the ROI. You post it, you run ads, you see what the cost of customer was, what your LTV is, and away you go. The simplest thing in business. On the flip side, 98.3%, obviously a very made up number, but 90% of my success, if not more, is 100% predicated on my mother. It is almost impossible, actually, it is 100% impossible for me to measure the ROI of my mother. You know, how she built self-esteem while not creating entitlement has enabled me to be able to build all these business. There is no report I can show everybody right now on this live stream that says, here when I got a terrible haircut but my mom made me feel good, not the reverse, that was an important data point. That le- like, that is not something you can show. When, when the, I'm looking at a lot of people right now, I know for fact that the clothes that they're wearing was completely predicated on brand building. They, they weren't cookied going on a website and then that watch company followed them around until they suffocated and then they paid and then the watch company could be like, oh great, you know, for Michael's watch, it costs us $39, we made $42 in profit, we're good. The reality is brand is not measurable. The end. You can spend all your time creating enormous reports that justify the behavior, you're more than welcome, the entire industry works on it. Companies in the middle make a fortune selling reports and PDFs around this all day long. It's still not true. And once humans let go of that and decide to hold a human accountable for the gray and measure it within a 24 or 36 month window, marketing will never have its actual ability to breathe within big organizations. I think one of your newest, thank you, Gary, I think one of your newest ventures is Empathy Wines. Uh, can you share with us, for those who don't know, what is that? And maybe anything you've learned regarding technology, regarding marketing, regarding anything we can learn from how you're building it, and where you think it may be going. What can we learn from Empathy Wines? A year ago, thank you. A year ago, I started a new wine brand, direct-to-consumer, called Empathy Wines. I grew up in the wine retail business in Jersey, right over there. And I passed by there several times. Thank you. And uh, I had two executives, Nate Schroeder and John Troutman, that have been with me for 10 years, started as interns in the wine business, been with me through Vayner. Timing felt right. Um, I've learned that what I've always believed, which is uh, Americans don't care about the data and the nerdum and the eliteness of wine. They just care about things that are delicious. So all the red, the white, the rosé were completely built to be just delicious. And is that why word of mouth is so important? 
Yeah, when people freak out that it tastes so good, they're more inclined to take a photo of it and tell people. And so, you know, uh, uh, this was not necessarily the biggest learning of my career. This was actually an execution of the last decade of learning. Awesome. You mentioned it, Gary. Thank you for sharing that. And I hope all of you try it somebody once. Um, you mentioned before, Gary, about AI. You touched on it. Can you talk about that a bit more? I know that many people hear the word larger companies are very comfortable to a degree, I think, with AI. What about smaller, mid-sized companies, AI, machine learning, these kind of what I still think are a little more advanced technologies, at least for my small community. Anything else we should know about this, the world of AI, how we should start, where it's going? Anything you want to share on that? Um, it's an inevitable outcome of the advancements of technologies that people overestimate and underestimate, like everything. You know, if you're an SMB, good news. Eventually, a lot of the silly things you pay people to do, you won't do. And, uh, you know, but at the same token, I don't get excited about VR, you know, ML, AI, AR, you know, even voice. I struggled with, you know, bringing that up right now because I think when you're an SMB, in the way that you asked it, you are so caught up in today. Oh, forget about it. You're... Trying to get money, cash flow, marketing, yeah. So the thought of like really overthinking a technology advancement that's minimally 36 months away from any kind of scale that it could potentially touch your business just feels wildly impractical. Is it fair to say though to look at it, especially for larger companies that are looking to pivot or no? What would you say? Yeah, I think larger companies with bigger resources, you know, but but I think about, you know, when, when you talk about those, then you start layering 5G. I mean, there's some real technology advancements. I will say this for the bigger companies and, and, and executives. There's an enormous amount of stuff that has happened in the last 15 years. Most of the things we talk about and we trade on and the infrastructure of common and modern communication and human behavior has been built in the last 15 or so years. The internet itself, as we know it, is really only 25 years old. It was around 94, 95 when things got going. If, so... Uh, looking even around the room that I can see, a lot of you recall business life prior to 15 or 20 years ago and just the sheer insanity of the advancements. 90% of this room said they wouldn't give up their Blackberry for an iPhone because they couldn't feel the buttons. So if you think that was a lot, just wait till you see what 15 years from today is going to be. This is accelerated. When you start layering 5G and AI, and it can get really interesting. So yeah, it's coming and you should be educated uh, but the actions of implementing it needs to be very thoughtful on timing. To Being too early is devastating. I used to work at the UN, Gary, and I remember the days we'd download the Ustream plug-in, make sure our video camera had the right driver. We thought we were cool. Now it's a phone. I remember. There you go. I remember. Um, Gary, question, another question from Twitter. And again, thank you all for tweeting in and, and enjoying this talk with Gary Vaynerchuk. Um, uh, Charlay asked, or Charlay asked, Gary, talk about how employees can facilitate digital selling. And I want to interpret, you don't need yeah, to what does that mean, Gary, you but think? for me, we're going to have another segment, Gary, I know, okay. where there's a retailer who's going to show how the end user employee, kind of like Abelisk, where it's no longer back office, yep. but from your phone, you can engage with the customer and yep. have a conversation. Yep. So I think that's where that's going, what that's about. But talk about the changing face of retail, people have retail stores, it's no longer just at the cash register. Anything you're seeing, anything VaynerMedia is doing to help the clients that you're into? To bring as much value as possible to the audience that's watching, I want people to think about the following. The internet is the middle. The end. There's only the product and the company that's trying to sell the product and then communication. So when I think about all of this, all that we're talking about is the advancement of the internet having tools built on top of it that enable that truth. 
If you play under a framework of there's nothing in the middle besides you and your product and the person that's trying to buy it, all of a sudden you become consumer-centric, not distribution, technology, or human employees or politics-centric. That is where all the leverage sits. So, yeah, I mean, whether it's selling on text, you know, my dad's business, the big innovation this year was we started something called Wine Text. It's got less than 10,000 subscribers. It's outperforming an email list that has 400,000 subscribers by 40X because it's closer to the customer because text is closer and if somebody replies, how about a red, we can reply. It's just eliminating friction. And I bet those are people who really want it also. Of course, and and listen, everybody knows this. Convenience is king. The end. When, you know, I was involved in watching Uber grow because Travis was a friend and then I was an early investor. When I started seeing the income levels of people using Ubers who flat out couldn't afford them, but I recognized, wow, they valued six minutes so much that they were willing, no different than a Netflix account, no different than a $6 Starbucks coffee. People are very interesting in what they value, escapism and convenience. Escapism and convenience. That's like a tweet, escapism and convenience. You know, when I look back at history, which tells you every future, when you realize that makeup was the number one thing that was consumed during the Great Depression, you start understanding a very low cost to escapism, right? Sports, entertainment. You know, I'm thinking about convenience. How do you eliminate friction at all times in the way I produce content and definitely in the way that I sell? I know that you and your team at VaynerMeter deal with advertising quite a bit, and I think uh, BMW had launched an X2 model on Twitter. You guys are probably familiar with it. Uh, to my understanding, 12 million views, probably in more by now, what drove Audi, uh, did, replicated, did a similar thing. Your thoughts on social media and digital advertising overall, when the, as the big guys and gals jump into it, are costs gonna be different? Is it gonna be harder for smaller businesses? What do we need to understand about more and more companies shifting, depending on what you're saying, shifting their ad dollars to digital? How does that affect other businesses and what should we know about it? Well, this is why I keep yelling at the Davids of the mm-hmm. world. When Goliath comes and spends money on a platform that is completely supply and demand of how much money's in it and is an actual marketplace, not a floor of cost of inventory, that is what people need to think right. about. Like the reason to be early is no different than the reason to be early in real estate. We're sitting here in Hudson Yards. We were here four years ago as a tenant. That was a better price per square foot than it is now because this is all built out. That's right. So, you know, that's how I think about the end consumer's awareness. Organic reach on Facebook six years ago when I was screaming at the top of my lungs was remarkably low and that really helps small businesses. As larger businesses come in and start spending ad money, the cost of getting into the stream goes up. It's like everything else Super Bowl used to cost a lot less when a lot less people watched it. This is just supply and demand. It's always supply and demand. And yeah, and this is why the LinkedIn and TikTok conversation is so important because when you don't have the luxury of big media dollars, you have to look for those angles. Or even when you have some media dollars, you have to look at things like Instagram swipe ups or heavily targeted YouTube pre-roll to understand where there's scale to move your business, but an underpriced net cost on the actual attention consumption. Not the potential reach, but the actual reach. Yeah, no, for sure. And I did my first TikTok video, by the way, just a few weeks ago. I'm very proud of it. came out, but I did it. You know, I had to go. It was okay. I just wanted to test it out and try it out. So everybody should do a TikTok video. Uh, Gary, this is a uh, By the way, real quick, Please. just to bring value. The reason that everybody should make a TikTok video is not because you have a product selling to 80-year-olds and there's 12-year-olds on the platform or that you want to 
really the real reason is to get your kids super upset. But, <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, but the real reason is when you create for the platform, you may find a nuance there that you learn that three years later matters for your business and storytelling on a platform that does age up and uses that nuance. I think that I did well on Instagram and Snapchat and now TikTok because I pot committed to Vine seven years ago and picked up on the nuances that I now still use creatively. So the learnings of making video in that way, in that form, become skill sets that you may deploy when maybe LinkedIn evolves its video product and has some of those nuances. And you're right, skill sets are transferable. Gary, one of the last questions, and this will harken back, probably something that happened a few years ago to you, but I know back in the day, a story that you've told and I think we've heard, uh, you know, you were selling Google AdWords back in the day, uh, way back then, and there was a gentleman or a lady who was kind of chiding you, you know, hey, I sell Yellow Pages ads, this is where it's at. And I think this kind of encapsulates some of the fear. You know, the internet's not new anymore, but there's still mature businesses that are wondering what should we do. Where do you think that guy is today who, who was championing you back in the day? Yellow pages it is, and you're the young guy doing Google AdWords. Where's he at today? He was so wildly inappropriate that I hope he's watching right now. I think um, he is. The reality is, is that what, what Ray's book speaking about is I did a chamber, the first time I ever did anything like this, it was in front of like nine people at a Springfield, New Jersey Chamber of Commerce event. And we were talking about marketing or building stuff and I had just launched winelibrary.com and I was talking about e-commerce and selling wine on the internet. And the gentleman I was, who was also on the panel was from the Yellow Pages. And the sheer audacity and disrespect to the modern technology graph was palpable. It was, you know, it was jokes and things of that nature. No different than what went through so many people's minds in here eight minutes ago when I said make a TikTok video. We are a hundred percent. We are in a culture where people say no without knowing if the answer is yes. You have no idea how it would actually. Have you never heard of a 16-year-old who has so much equity in their household that when they see a piece of your content, they may bring up that business at the dinner table? Do you not see the data that teenage girls in households today carry a lot of weight because moms more than ever want to be their their daughter's friend, not their mom, thus what she thinks is actually evolving into decision-making for the family? Like People are so one-dimensional. People are so quick to say no for no reason. We just don't innovate, we're fear-based, we're no-based. And so that Yellow Pages gentleman was saying no because if the internet was right, if Google and Yahoo was right, it was really Yahoo, if Yahoo was right, that would hurt his bottom line. So many people say no because it would hurt their short-term finances without realizing that if they jumped on that yes, they'd be able to do a double leapfrog. You should put yourself out of business before somebody else does it for you. We've learned a lot from Gary today. Gary, I think this has been amazing discussion. Uh, wow, so many things I could say, but I think I'm not gonna recap it because enough has been said by you, but I appreciate your time. Thanks for being here. I appreciate, I your, with you. I appreciate your ridiculous energy. So good, so good. Thank you. Thanks guys for listening. Please, please, please share the podcast and make sure you've subscribed because a bunch of you aren't subscribed and more importantly, a bunch of you listen every day and haven't told your friends it's the best podcast in the world. I'm watching. (laughs) Have a great day.